0: To place their boat in the middle of a run of multitudes of fish is the dream of any avid fisher person. The passion of life becomes to hook up with a big sporting fish and watch him jump and dance. One hardly expects to encounter a fishing expedition in the pages of the Holy Scripture. But our Bible teacher Dr. Dave Wurtzen begins with ice fishing in New York and bass fishing in Texas. And then he goes on to invite us to go fishing with a master sportsman, Jesus. Where I was raised, fishing's really big in the winter. It's kind of a crazy kind of fishing. You go out when it's 20 below zero because you want to make sure that the lake is going to hold you up. You get out there and you reproduce your home on a small scale about two miles out in the middle of the lake. And in this thing you have a stove And you have some uh, cupboards where you can put some food and you cut a circle in the ice and you sit there in this warm little hut and you fish. And I never for the life of me, maybe it's because I've never gotten into it so much, but I've really never been able to get excited about dropping your line about 250 feet deep in Scroon Lake and letting some great big hulk of a, of a of a trout of a lake trout grab it or whatever or pike and then you just haul it up you know they move so slow about that time it's kinda like pulling up a dead weight kinda like lifting a weight on its string but guys really get into that all over the adirondacks you see these little huts now in the texas in the summertime is another time that's hard for me to understand because when it gets about 120 degrees. That's out in the middle of Cedar Creek Lake. It's 120. It's about 140 on the beach. And you get out there in your boat and the sun is blazing down. And now it's not that it's so cold, but now it's so unbelievably hot that the fish are kind of belly up. You know, it's just too hot. So you can't really fish then too well. But this time of the year, is when I start hearing the murmurings. There's murmurings all over our area. And you can hear them at the steel plant. You can hear them at the cement plant. You can hear them in the office. And they're talking about the bass are are schooling down there at Lake Whitney. And man, you hear these guys telling these whopper stories. They get in the middle of hundreds of fish. I mean, the fish are jumping in the boat. I mean, it's so incredible. And they tell me these stories about catching 50 and 60 fish at a time. Now, that kind of fishing I could get into. It's never happened to me, but I could really see how you could really get into fishing. I want to share something with you. Jesus does not want to take the passion of fishing away from you. In fact, contrary to what a lot of people think, Jesus would go fishing with you. If Jesus were alive today as a man, he would be fishing with you. You say, how do I know that? Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. And we'll read about an account where Jesus went fishing with a group of men. And Jesus does not want to take away your passion for fishing. Your wife might want to take it away from you. But some of you wives, when I talk to some of you, some of the wives are really into fishing as well. So Jesus is not going to take your passion of fishing away, but he wants to create in your heart a different kind of passion because he wants you to go after a lot bigger catch than largemouth bass or pike or something like that. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake Ganasteret, you know that lake better as the Sea of Galilee. The Lake of Ganasteret is really a better term for it. It really isn't a sea. It's a lake, a lake of Ganasteret shaped like a harp, when the people were crowding around him. So you, it's a very vivid picture here. You see Jesus begin to teach, and the crowd is gathering together around him, and you can see him. They're kind of pressuring him up towards the uh, shore of the lake. What were they pressuring him about? They were listening to the word of God. They were listening to the word of God. You know, the word of God is very strategic in the book of Luke. We mention that his word is gracious. In chapter 4, verse 22, we learn that the the hometown crowd said they never heard such gracious words. In other words, as we listen to the teaching of Jesus, it's teaching of unmerited favor to those that deserve just the opposite. Nobody can give you words. You're going to read a lot of books in your life, and you're going to get excited about those books. You're going to go to a lot of seminars. You're going to hear a lot of speakers. But I promise you that when life is done, the word of the Lord, which is grace, the word of Jesus, which is grace, will feed your soul more than any other word that you can hear. And that's why the Galilean crowd gathered together. They wanted to hear the word of Jesus. It's an authoritative word. It's an authoritative word. I went to hear a medical doctor a couple days ago. And he's a very strong authority on some important issues in our society. And as I heard him teach, he gave some excellent insights. But time and time again, he had to say, Now, I really don't know about this. I'm not sure about this. Maybe so, maybe not. And contrary to the way most of us respond, I was really thankful for that because it was honest. In fact, if all of us were honest about the way that we teach we couldn't say, I know for sure, nearly as much as it might sound. In fact, one of my seminary professors said that he felt that preachers and seminary professors ought to be like scientists. They ought to give degrees of plus or minus error with what they're saying. Or they ought to say, now this I really know for sure. This I'm kind of sure about. This is really murky, and this might just be plain baloney. He said, sometimes I think, you know, we ought to speak like that. Because usually preachers just come on like, man, everything they're saying is a gospel truth. You know, Jesus is the one teacher. It says he spoke like one having authority, not like the scribes. That's why you need to get into this book. It's why you need to listen to the word of the Lord. Because his word, according to Dr. Luke, is an authoritative word. It's also like a planted seed. This is not only the year, the time of the year of fishing, but it's also the time of the year of planting. And I'm always amazed, you know, you plant a garden. For example, you make a hill and you plant some squash seeds in that hill. And then you just say goodbye to it for a couple weeks and down here you pray that it will rain. If it doesn't rain, you have to water it with water and all the chemicals kill the seeds. But isn't it an incredible thing, the power that's in a seed? Now, to be honest with you, I really don't put the seed in the ground and then make a big fuss and worry about, boy, I wonder whether that seed's going to come up. I wonder if I should help it. Maybe I ought to dig down there and see how things are going. How many of you have ever done that? Probably some of you had, especially when you were little. You know, you plant a seed and then you keep digging it up about every other day to see how it's coming, you know, make sure everything's starting to burst forth a little bit. No, you have trust in the power of the seed. The Word of God is like that. You see, a lot of us have the idea that witnessing is a whole lot like selling, and it's very much like direct selling, but it isn't. When I was selling direct, when I was selling Mrs. Jones books, the whole drive of that company was for me to make Mrs. Jones make a decision right then because the chances were if Mrs. Jones didn't make a decision right then, she would never make a decision. You sold a lot of books that way. You made a lot of enemies as well. Because you had a pressure. It's wrong to pressure. It's wrong to put people on the spot. You don't win people. You don't really influence people genuinely over the long term by intimidation, by willpower. And neither do we need to do that when we witness. The Word of God, the Word of Christ is like a seed. And when you plant it, it has objective, life-transforming, creative power Just in the word of God. Luke believes that. And also that word is eternal. That word will never end. Now that's why there was a crowd that day around the Sea of Galilee. Because the word of God had those kinds of qualities. It was gracious. It was authoritative. It was like a seed that would germinate new life. And that life would be eternal. Now you've heard that so much. You've heard it over and over again. That it kind of just washes over us. But I really would ask you to begin to pray and ask the Lord to help you to have tremendous confidence in the word of God. Tremendous confidence in the power of the word of God to transform lives. Because I believe the body of Christ in our community is absolutely vital to what God wants to do. Jesus is the authoritative word to every need that we might face. We had breakfast yesterday with the chief of police in town. He told us that there were four fatalities last year in the highways just right in the small city limits of Midlothian. There were over 80 arrests for drunken driving just in our community. And he told us, almost with tears in his eyes, because he really does care. He said, you know, I really am afraid that some of our kids are going to be killed. Because when the summer months come and they begin just sitting around in the evening, it's real easy to get drinking, it's real easy to get doing some things that you shouldn't do, and it's very easy for somebody to get hurt. And he said, we're looking for answers. But it's so important for all of us to recognize as believers, not in a haughty way, You know, often I cringe because I think it's really easy for believers to be haughty and say, well, the answer is Jesus. And that can be a a nothing kind of a statement because the people that are hearing you might just hear the way they were raised in a church with religious rules and regulations. They might just hear somebody screaming, you know, bloody murder or something. And they don't really know what you mean when you say that Jesus is the answer because I've never genuinely gotten to know Jesus. And that's what I'm praying that the Lord will help all of us to get a hold of. The power and the beauty of the person and the message of the Savior. The word of God is the answer. I'll have one person after another say that we can understand a lot of the dynamics of drunkenness, of drug abuse. We can understand a lot of the family dynamics and a lot of the reasons why why it happens. But when it comes to that moment, that split-second moment when somebody has to decide, will I stay in control of my body or will I give in to the passion of the moment and make my body feel good and give in to that lust, when it comes to that power of that moment and the ability to say no at that point, There's not a lot of answers. There's a lot of question marks and a lot of concern, but it's hard to have an answer at that moment. And we've got a lot of stress about just saying no. And it's very easy for that to become very much of a negative, trying to say no, trying to control your passions, trying to control things that are happening inside of you. And what Jesus does is say no. You can't say no. I want you to admit that you can't say no. I want you to admit, in fact, a lot of the latest techniques in counseling will bring somebody to that point where they'll admit their weakness. Well, Jesus has been saying that all along. He says, I want you to admit that you're weak. But the neat thing about Jesus is he doesn't stop right there. He doesn't just say, all right, admit that you're weak, but he goes on and says, I want to live in you, and I want to give you power. I want to create new life. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. The kingdom of God is near in the person of Jesus. That's what Luke is talking about. That's what the word of God is. Jesus Christ brings the kingdom of God into our lives. And what I wanted to start to get a hold of is we need to become a kingdom of God people. And that's where Satan has attacked. Satan is working very hard to cause the kingdom of God people to not be any different than the kingdom of this world people. And a tremendous amount of cynicism is developing because the kingdom of God people look exactly like the kingdom of this world people. Now, we're not talking about just dress or things like that. We're talking about heart. We're talking about love for God love for the Savior, confidence in the Word of God. In fact, if you really want to learn about the Savior, you've got to get right on the edge, and you have to believe in that kingdom, which is what we're going to get into next. Because Jesus, with the press of this crowd, had a tremendous need. He needed some people to help him in order to reach this crowd. It says in verse 2, He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen. They were washing their nets. We learned later that they had fished all night long and had caught nothing. They must have fished in my club. They fished all night long and caught nothing. He got into the boats and one belonged to Simon. He asked Simon to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. We had Jesus teaching in the synagogue. Now we have him speaking from the boat. Now I want you just to think about this. We begin, we're talking about the calling of the first disciples. And I believe that Luke gives this as a paradigm of the way that the Lord calls us. Because I think that Luke was not only writing to give us historical details about how the first disciples were called, but he's also giving us ideas of how Jesus will call us. And it begins with Jesus requesting to use our material possessions for the Savior. I've seen that happen again and again and again. Jesus will say, let me use your boat. Now think of all the excuses that Simon Peter could have used. You know, here you have a big crowd of people. You fished all night long. You were up all night long. You caught absolutely nothing, so you're really in the blues. And some guy's having a street meeting on the Sea of Galilee, only it's not a street meeting, it's a lake meeting. And he's speaking to these hundreds of people, and he asked to use your boat. Now Simon Peter could have said, listen... I've got to use my own boat. I mean, in my life, it's been out all night, and I don't really have the time to be bothered with you. I'm really not into this religious stuff. In fact, to be honest with you, I don't really like some of the fanaticism that's involved in lake preaching. And also, I I don't know what the people around Capernaum are going to think. You see, I'm not a poor fisherman because I own my own boat. Some of my relatives have their own businesses as well. And I'm not sure how things will happen in Capernaum if I let you use my boat because... You see, it's very possible that some of the people won't like what you're saying and then what will happen to my business? Simon Peter could have said a lot of that. I hear people saying that lots of times. Now I want you to stop and think if Simon Peter would have said no at that crucial point. Very simple thing. Can I use your, your boat? And I think Jesus will come to you and he'll say some very simple things. Could I use your house? Some of you used your house this weekend for believers to gather. The Lord said to you many years ago, could I use your house? Our church family right here began in a house. Faith Bible Church, before Mary and I came out here, the first time we met with that church, it was in a house. And all of those churches started when the Lord says, could we use your house? And there are all kinds of excuses that could have been made. Do you know what it is to have 25 people, 30 people in your house? They trump dirt on your carpet. And they break lamps and your favorite icons from your great great grandmother, they break it. You know, men alive, it's a disaster area. Little babies come and they have bottles and they dribble juice all over the place. We gotta get them out of our house. You see, we could all use excuses. I want you to think of where would Simon Peter be if he would have said, no, you can't use my boat. Now, how many of you have ever heard of Simon Peter? How many of you have ever heard of some of the other boat owners of Galilee? Can you name any other boat owners besides the apostles? Name the leading fisherman in Capernaum in about 29 AD. He's really a big one, isn't he? You see what I'm saying? You see, it all begins when Jesus says, let me use something you got. And the decision you make, You see, you can choose, I'm going to use my material things for me. There's nothing wrong with material things. And I'm going to get my home just right. I'm going to keep my car just right. I'm going to have my clothes be just right. I'm going to have everything just right. I'm going to have a boat for me, and it's going to be just right. And you'll live your life, and I'll bury you, and I'll say that he was a nice guy, and that'll be it. But there's some of you that the Lord's going to say, let me use what you got. And it will all begin with that obedience at that point. And you'll start to dedicate your things to the glory of the Savior. And you won't make excuses. You'll say, Lord, it's all yours. And you know what happens? The Lord will take that simple act of obedience and he'll turn it into greatness. You see, the Lord is using this summer. Some of you say, I say to some of you, what do you got? Some of you say, oh, I've got a soccer ability. Or I have very little ability. The Lord will use that to get a hundred kids, over a hundred kids, to be able to hear the gospel presented. A point of contact. Basketball skills. And on it goes. Musical skills. What do you got? He says to some of the young people, he says, what do you got? You say, I've got a bass guitar. I've got an electric guitar. I've got a six-string guitar. What are you doing with it? Lord Jesus will say, hey... Can I use your guitar? You see, you can use it for kingdoms. Everything we have is used for one of two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of the Lord. And contrary to what a lot of people are telling you, the Lord is not taking things away from his people. Material things are not wrong in itself. There's nothing wrong with a synthesizer, nothing wrong with a bass guitar, nothing wrong with a material thing. It's all in who's playing it and what they're doing it for. And the life of discipleship begins when the Lord says, okay, what do you got? What's in your hand? What do you own? Can I use it? The second thing is you need to make a decision about obedience. After the Lord got through preaching, he told Peter something really crazy. I think Peter could probably understand because if we put this together with John's account, this was not the first time that Peter had heard Jesus speak. And so he knew Jesus' effectiveness as a teacher. So I think that you know Peter understood what was happening. He probably heard the message of the kingdom of God. He heard a good sermon. And most fishermen that I know that are kind of like Peter, they like good sermons, especially if they're out in the open air. It kind of brings back some of that old spirit of revival. So I think Peter understood what was going on. But in verse 4, I think, is when Peter probably had some real trouble. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now that's where I think Peter got caught. And if I were Peter, I think I would be thinking something like this. All right, preacher, you handle the preaching. I got that. That was a good message. But leave the fishing to me. I want you to notice something. The Lord Jesus was not detached. The Lord Jesus finished a message, did what Bible teachers have done down through the centuries. But When he's all done, he said, okay, Peter, now let's do what you do. Let's go fishing. And look what Peter says. You can get a little bit of the reluctance here. Simon answered him, Master. He recognizes authority. We've worked hard all night long and we haven't caught a blessed thing. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. That's a key statement. That statement is the difference in Simon Peter's life. I think, Lord, that what you're telling me is a little bit nutty. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. But because you tell me to do it, I will do it. Now stop and think about it. From a human standpoint, you go out into the middle of the lake, you've done it all night long, you've put these big nets down under the water, and you pull them in, and all night long, you come up with absolutely nothing. And when the day comes, now night fishing is when you catch a lot of fish. Early in the morning, early in the, in the dawn, early in the morning or in the evening is when you catch fish. It's probably in the, you know, not even in, the, in any of the prime times. And the Lord is telling Peter, I want you to let down the nets. And the difference of Peter's life is he said, Lord, I'll be honest with you, I think it's a little bit crazy. But I'm going to do it. Now, I think we need a big dose of Simon Peter that say, Lord, I think it's a little bit nuts. Present the gospel again. Present the gospel again. Nobody ever listens. Nobody ever pays attention. The Lord says, let down the net. Because I told you to. You see, if you're going to be a disciple, number one, you need to let the Lord use your material possessions. You have to give it all to him. You've got to let him use your boat, your house, your clothes, everything. But the second thing you have to do is you have to learn to obey him. We learned this in the the miracle of turning the water to wine. The Lord says, carry it you got to carry it. Take it to the governor of the feast. The same thing has happened here. The Lord says, what do you got in your hands, Simon Peter? And Peter says, i got a net. The Lord says, put it down in the water. And Simon says, man alive, Lord, it's impossible. Nothing's going to ever happen. You know what I, really, I wish we would begin to pray, but I'm really getting burdened about this. Let's pray. We need to begin by praying. Let's pray for the young people And I think the Lord could give answers to that. And the Lord says, let down the nets. What we need in our schools is a marvelous, powerful moving of the Holy Spirit. You see, if you want to drink, whether you drink at 9 o'clock or at 2 o'clock in the morning doesn't make that much difference. You see, you can go to a big activity at 9 o'clock go to 11, and then go out drinking. You see, if you want to do it, now we need those activities, but if you want to do it, you're going to do it. In fact, you'll drink after school. You see, what's really needed and what the burden of a lot of believers is is that there needs to be a tremendous change of heart in our community. And that's not just the kids. Everyone talks about the kids. The real problem in our community is not the kids. It's moms and dads. Especially some of the really religious mom and dad's who have, they look great. But their lives just really aren't whole and pure. They don't have time. And what we need to do is we don't want to get discouraged about it, but we need to pray about it. We need to really start asking the Lord, Lord, what nets do you want us to put down? What else do we have in our hands? You see, this isn't a a game for professionals. This is a game for all of us. And the Lord says, let down your nets. And what happened was when Peter obeyed, a tremendous harvest of fish came into the nets. I mean, Peter couldn't believe it. It was incredible. The fish were jumping in those nets. In fact, it was was so much of a pull of fish. It was breaking his nets. He had to call to John and and Philip and get everybody over, Andrew, to help him. The Lord repeats the same miracle after his resurrection. The same miraculous catch of fish takes place when Jesus rose again from the dead. And Peter's response to that miraculous movement of the Spirit was this. In verse 7, So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and helped them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon and his brothers. Peter fell down on his knees and he said, Lord, I'm a sinful man. What was he saying? Simon Peter was saying, I'm beginning to realize that I am in the presence of deity. I'm beginning to realize that I'm in the hands of the Spirit of God. And that's the way you're going to respond when you're obedient to the word of the Savior to let down the nets. And I want you to pray for me. I I really need you to pray for me as, as a body of Christ. You see, I know a lot of guys in my profession that start out strong when they're young. And they preach, then they go into other things. I have friends all over the place that are doing that. You know why they do that? Because it gets hard to work with the nitty-gritty of problems. And the Lord says, Dave, cast out your net. Present the gospel. Not in a simplistic way. Not denying other dynamics that might be present. But believe in that gospel that the blood of Jesus Christ can bring forgiveness. And I need tremendous prayer because when you're working with people one-on-one a great deal in times of crisis, in times of need, and you see the tangled messes that we all make of our lives, it's easy to say, why cast the net? Why cast a net? Some of the guys that were casting a net with me, look what it got them. But what I want to share with you from the bottom of my heart is Jesus' word from Jesus to cast a net will not return void. Now, he didn't promise it was going to be like selling. He promised it would be a whole lot more like farming. Sometimes it's like fishing. But sometimes the drought of fish doesn't come just at the moment. You never know when it's going to come. And that's what we all need to be in prayer about. I believe that we need to begin to encourage one another and pray for one another about the power of the gospel to change people's lives. A friend of mine that's one of the leading psychologists as he writes, Christian psychology, I sense a tremendous melancholy in his life. Tremendous melancholy. You say, why? Because he is gifted by the Spirit to spend hour after hour dealing with people's problems, dealing with the lostness of humanity, dealing with the lostness of people. Are you discouraged about the lostness of people? It's easy to get discouraged. Now, what should our response to that be? Some of my friends say, well, maybe I need to cast another net. Maybe I need to try another another message of good news. And I just promise you from the depths of my heart, there is no name under heaven given among men whereby you might be saved. And if you pour your life into the gospel of Christ, It'll be hard, but you'll eventually see the kingdom. And a whole lot of others will see the kingdom with you. That's what was going on between Peter and Jesus. Peter was saying, Lord, there's no way we can catch fish your way. There's no way your command can work. The Savior said, throw the net. And that's what we need to start to learn to do. You see, rather than feeling in our offices like, man, I don't know, everybody cusses and it's so dark there. Everybody's living for materialistic values. I'm the only weird one here. Why don't we get a couple believers together? Maybe they don't even work where you work. Why don't we get a couple believers together and begin to pray, Lord, help us to cast the net in this office. Lord, help us to be able to come up with creative, powerful ways to present the gospel of the Savior to people here to clarify some of the errors, to help them to understand who Jesus really is. But it's got to come from all of us. It's not for the professionals. It's a message for everyone. We can all get involved into it. And I want to encourage so many of you who are already so much involved because the final command is the Lord will say, I want you to use your material possessions. Second of all, He'll say, I want you to obey me. The next thing He'll say, I want you to follow me completely. Because this passage closes with an incredible statement. Look what it said. It says, Then Jesus said to Simon Peter, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. It's real easy for a lot of us to get the idea that's just for a very, very few. That the Lord says to a very, very few, I want you to leave everything. I want you to follow me. Now I want you to notice some things. Later on, Peter and John were able to go back to their boats after the resurrection. In fact, if you look at Matthew and Mark, John left his boats with his father, Father Zebedee. So they weren't irresponsible. It's easy to read this account and get the idea that some of these guys, they met kind of a rogue preacher, one of these hippie kind of a guy. He says, come on and follow me. They dumped their boats in the beach and took off with him and went running around the countryside for the rest of their lives. That's not at all what happened. Peter and John, Philip and Andrew had heard Jesus speak down in Jerusalem. They studied very carefully what Jesus had said. Some of them spent a whole night asking Jesus questions. They'd come to believe that he was the Messiah. When Jesus finished that Judean tour, some of them walked with him up to Nazareth. Some of them came to the wedding of Canaan of Galilee with him. They had spent some time in ministry and they were intermittently going back and doing some fishing, going with Jesus. So it wasn't kind of a crack you know, crack ball, weirdo decision. They knew who Jesus was. They knew what his message was. And they also made provisions for their boats. But when Jesus said, I want you to follow me, they said, we're coming. And what I want all of you to realize is that that's why they became the apostles. I heard one of our leaders, when we got together just a few weeks ago, he said, I want prayer. I'm not really confident that the Lord wants me to keep doing what I'm doing now, I feel there's something else, and I want you just to be in prayer. It's real easy. If there's a part of me that says, oh, no, 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 no. Stay doing what you're doing. You got a good job. You're educated for it. Stay doing what you're doing. That's sick. That's Dave Wurtzen, and you can put that on the graded scale down at zero. Not true. Because that tug of the spirit on all of our lives is really important. My dad, when he was an insurance agent in his 20s, he began by just giving his things to the Lord. He started to learn how to give. He also learned how to just start throwing the net. So what they did on Friday night and Saturday night, they went to the streets of New York, Because New York is an unbelievable place to be able just to pass tracks out, to talk to people. You can get a crowd almost any place you want. My dad started doing that. You know why? Because my dad was convinced in his early 20s that he was the only believer. He and my mom with about six other young people were the only believers in New York City. And if that whole city was not going to go into the Hudson River and drown and be lost in hell, they were going to need to make the difference. And they started casting the net. My dad got to his late 20s, and a, an a Exxon, a Standard Oil businessman, an executive for Standard Oil, heard my dad speak. And he came to my dad and said, Son, you have the gift of an evangelist. My dad said, I have the gift of a what? My dad had never heard what an evangelist was, Really. What is a gifted evangelist? And this standard oil executive said he is someone who is gifted by the spirit to cast the net and to train others to do it. And he said, son, you're going to be on the radio next week. And I'm going to pay the bill for about six months and we're going to see what God will do. My dad said, you got to be crazy. I've got one message. I am an insurance salesman. Insurance salesmen have the same speech. They do it over and over again. You've heard me speak on street corners. You also heard me speak in your church tonight. That is the only message I have. And the radio keeps going on and on and on. The executive said, fine, I'm a businessman. The Lord's gifted me in that area. And the Lord taught me to obey many years ago. And you, young man, by the Holy Spirit's guidance and his prompting in my heart, are on the radio next week. Be there. So my dad got one message ready. He grabbed a friend of his that was driving for some truck company. They would arrive early in the morning. And they started casting the net. They used to do some crazy things. They, they would play out of tune. They would sing out of tune. They said to the manager of the program one day, I'm really sorry we had such a terrible program today. I mean, we forgot our lines. We sang out a tune everything. I'm sorry it was so horrible. He said, oh, don't worry about that. Nobody listens anyway. But, you know, that group of young men, that group of young men and women with their girlfriends, because a lot of them were that young, started obeying. They started casting the net. That truck driver would get up early in the morning and he would come and they would sing and my dad would preach. And I think you've heard about those men. You've obviously heard about my dad. I'm here today because my dad obeyed. His insurance company says, Jack, you need to stay in insurance. You'll go right to the top. You've got all the equipment for it. You can sell it. But in his late 20s, the Lord says, follow me. You're an evangelist. I want to use you. Boy, am I glad my dad did that. It forever changed the destiny of our family. My mom and dad would have been divorced if my dad hadn't done that because their marriage was hard enough without Christ. It was a hard marriage. By the grace of God, it was a good marriage. They lived together well over 40 years. And I'm here today because of the grace of God. There are people all over the world. You could go to Dallas Seminary today and ask the kids to raise their hand, the students, say, young people, how many of you have ever heard of Word of Life and how many of you were touched by the Spirit of God to possibly go to the ministry because of the Ministry of Word of Life and all over the seminary, there will be guys, yeah, I went to Word of Life at camp. At a campfire service, I dedicated my, my life to the Lord. You can go to the missions, like a mission like Team Mission and be speaking in a Team Mission program and say, how many of you missionaries were touched by the Ministry of Word of Life? And a whole bunch of them raise their hand. The head of the Sudan Interior Mission sang in my dad's quartet when he was an 18-year-old. And on and on it goes. How did that all start? Can I use your material possessions? Will you obey me? Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. You've heard about the truck driver that sang. My dad just had a reunion with him. He's still singing, well up in years. His name was George Beverly Shea. You see, George Beverly was just a kid that had a voice. He didn't start out singing for those mighty crusades. He started out singing on an old, run-down radio station in New York. It all began there. Billy Graham, George Beverly Shea, my dad, they all had a big reunion in Washington, D.C., and they reminisced about what God had done. It's very easy for, our, for this generation, some of the older ones, say, what's going to happen? Who's going to carry it? Those men are all getting old. The ones that are going to carry it very possibly are right here. They are right here. We are it. It's our time. The Lord says, give me your material things. Let me use it as a vehicle. Let me use your home to have kids in, to have adults in. Let's start Bible studies. Let's have care groups. Let's have support groups. If you go through a horrible experience, like a divorce or something, maybe the Lord wants you to get other people that have had that experience. The world has all kinds of support groups. You can go out into the secular world, there are support groups to meet every need imaginable. Where are the support groups among believers? Are you concerned about sexuality among young people? Get together as a group of parents. Set up a weekend where you get the moms and dads and the kids all up here at one time and you split them up for a certain area of the discussion and talk about it. Talk about sexuality. Talk about the meaning of our body. Let's begin to interact. What does it mean to be a kingdom child in the area of sexuality? Lots of kids do fool around that area. You know why? Because nobody ever talks to them about the meaning of their body. Do you think one week at the Bible camp can really solidify in a young person's mind what to do about sex in their body? Never be. You all have to do it. Find out what God's Word says about it. Maybe if we got together in our churches, set up some weekend meetings, interacted with young people, and really started having a difference in our young people. Setting up a whole new kingdom program. People that are different. I bet you some unbelieving parents would want to come in and find out what's going on. See, that's what the Lord wants us to do, to get involved, to cast the net. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. A neat thing about it, being a fisher of men is instead of getting a great big net of smelly fish, you get a great big net of eternal life people. Fishing, They stink fishing for Christ, they live forever and they become a beautiful aroma before the throne of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask you, as we've had this initial call to discipleship, Father, all I can do in some ways is just try to be used by your Spirit to create a vision of what the Holy Spirit might desire to do in lives. Father, if we try to control it, if we try to put a damper on it, it's very possible that we could squelch the work of your spirit. Father, if your spirit, like the mighty wind, continues to move in our lives and hearts, it's very possible that we could throw out the net and have an unbelievable drought, an unbelievable catch of fish. I pray that you would give us the faith to believe. I pray that you would defeat the work of Satan who worked so hard to destroy our confidence in the precious gospel. I'd ask you, Father, that we would follow you and hear you say, let's become fishers of men. I would ask you, Lord, that some of those that are gifted in evangelism would be encouraged. But I pray, Lord, that all of us would recognize that whether we're gifted in a special way to be the fruit pickers in your family. We have all been called not to invite people to church necessarily, although that might be a beginning point. We have all been called to represent your kingdom, to tell the message of your kingdom, and I'd ask you that you would use the message today to stimulate each one of us to become fishers of men as we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.